Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A powerful and emotional sentencing hearing continues in London. Plus, sidewalk snow removal, another Rogers outage, an exploding toilet? The Epstein files are unsealed and the PWHL packs a local punch. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Certainly an emotional day for many yesterday at the sentencing hearing for the man convicted in the deaths of four members of a Muslim family in London back in 2021. This is the Nathaniel Veltman murder trial. He's already been convicted. Now the sentencing phase is underway, and you will recall that he was in his truck when he went pedal to the metal into a family that was just out for an evening stroll and told police hours later that he decided he was going to, quote, commit a terrorist attack. And he certainly did just that. Today is the second day for victim impact statements. And as I mentioned earlier, it was an emotional day yesterday in the courtroom. What our London family has gone through for the past two and a half years and had to relive over the past couple of weeks has been an extremely difficult trial and has been beyond heartbreaking. Ben Harrietha is the reporter who covered Nathaniel Veltman's murder trial for sister station 980 CFPL in London and joins us now on GMH. Ben, good morning. How are you? Uh, morning, Rick. Uh, just waiting for the coffee to kick in. Yeah, I'm sure you are, especially after what was probably a very draining day for you and dozens of others, many of them family members, friends, and um uh, people who, uh, you know, grew up or, or loved the Afzal family and, you know, relayed how this tragedy affected them. It was emotional. It was powerful. What were some of the messages that we heard yesterday that stuck out for you? Yeah, like you said, it was, it was, it was family, uh, both close and uh, extended family. Uh, one thing that a lot of people kind of nailed down is, despite some people being, you know, first cousin removed or you know, big gaps between the uh, immediate family. Uh, in Pakistani culture, there's no such real thing as extended family if your family or family. So everyone felt this, uh, felt the uh, ripple effects of this attack. Most people just spoke about how uh, the Afzal family, every single one of them, was uh, were just kind people. Uh, everyone, you know, was was a good hearted, good hearted, hardworking members of the community. Was basically kind of the uh, to give a summary of what was said, although how can you summarize uh, everyone's thoughts? We got their 41 statements yesterday. And so today is the second day. We understand two days have been set aside for these victim impact statements. And I know that dozens were read yesterday and, and more will come about today. And this is an important part of the process because the judge in this case will will gather the sentiment from uh, the family to ultimately make a, a sentencing decision, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. So, yeah, we've got another, um, so we got through 41, like I said, and I believe we've got another 16 statements from uh, family and close friends. And then we've actually got 12 community statements after that, and that's from community members who were affected. Uh, I believe one of the ones uh, who's going to be speaking uh, might be the former mayor. Um, And then, yeah, the judge will be making facts of finding. I don't believe this will be happening today. Uh, I believe that will be happening at a later date. Um, but that is when she'll uh, kind of weigh in on the aspect of the terrorism uh, aspect of the question uh, of the case, which is a, a question a lot of people have been asking since the conviction. Is is the feeling when it comes to sentencing? Is the feeling that this could come down sometime next week, or is, or is this going to take the judge a little bit longer to kind of, you know, compile her thoughts and 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 finally 
um, deliver that sentence? Uh, I believe it's going to be happening uh, later in the month. Sometime, I, I, I think the date was the 23rd that they gave us uh, for potential uh, final sentencing date. They've got to get through uh, a couple legal arguments uh, as well as just the sentencing itself. So uh, it will be coming, I believe, before the end of the month. More victim impact statements later on today in a London courtroom. And we're in discussion with Ben Harrietha, the reporter who covered uh, the Veltman murder trial for Sister Station 980 CFPL in London. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. What, what is the feeling, Ben, in the London community? Because this happened in 2021. Uh, it, you know, the, it was, uh, you know, a, a national story. It was a terror attack. It was an individual who is now on trial. And all these years later, now we're hearing from even more so now from from the victims' families. Uh, what is the feeling in the community? Is is uh, I'm sure there's still a lot of heartbreak and heartache. Yeah, you're exactly correct. I was actually speaking with uh, another reporter who was present at the uh, trial yesterday, at the hearing yesterday, um, and she said something perfectly that even for the media, which we're you know we're supposed to be kind of uh, impartial, it, this was a very emotional story. Uh, for even the media. That's why the original trial wasn't even in London. Um, and you can see people in the courtroom who, uh, you know, aren't even speaking, who are just, you know, they're hugging other people who maybe they even never met. Uh, everyone's kind of really emotional as this, uh, as this hearing goes on, because uh, this is like a reopening a, you know, two and a half, nearly three-year-old wound at this point. Uh, but, you know, I feel like a lot of people once that this part of the trial is done, uh, this last part of the trial, I feel like people will finally be able to start to uh, get the closure that they want and they deserve. Is there also a, a legacy component when it comes to the Afsal family? I mean, these people stood for good. They, again, they were just out for an evening stroll. Uh, and, and this really has rocked not only the London community, but certainly many others across the country. What, what kind of legacy do you think this is going to leave behind? Well, I think uh, a big thing is that uh, one, one of the people who spoke was uh, Medea Salman's mother, uh, Thinda Bukhari, I believe her name is. And she talked about how hard it was to lose uh, all of these people, uh, all of these uh, family members, uh, but that um, their son, uh, who she left Pakistan to uh, come take care of them, their son, you know, he's growing up despite it all, uh, and that he's a, a good person so far. Uh, from what she can tell, uh, you know, he looks a lot like his dad from what she told us in this uh, victim statement. So I think the I think the 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 legacy and the and the impact that, that has is, is right there with him. Well, really emotional day yesterday, and I'm sure that will be felt uh, again later on, starting this morning in London. Ben, thanks for the time and uh, best of luck covering the story. I know it's not easy. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Listen, we've been spoiled this winter. Above seasonal temps for the most part. Yeah, we had a little fog during Christmas. But for the most part, where is winter? Listen, I don't really want to answer that question because I know it's coming. And old man winter is going to pack a punch when he delivers his jab and his right cross. And that brings us to two things. Number one, our poll question of the day, which you can find on X at AM900CHML. Would you be willing to pay or pay more for the city of Hamilton to clear your sidewalk when it snows? Now, some citizens, some taxpayers actually have this service. 
but it's not citywide, and it's not citywide because, well, it comes with a cost. Would you be willing to pay or pay more for the city of Hamilton to clear your sidewalk when it's no 73% of you saying, no way, Jose. 27% say, yeah, okay, I can dip into the old pocketbook. Got some spare change hanging around. There's about a third of the sidewalks in this city right now that are cleared of snow during the winter. Which, you know, goes a long way to improve accessibility and connectivity for residents. But if we want this program expanded in future years, what is that price tag and would you be willing to pay for that? John Paul Danko is the counselor for Ward 8 with the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Counselor Danko, good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well, Rick. We should mention, uh, you know, an expansion of this program is not being considered during the ongoing budget meetings, right? No, it's not. There was just a recent information report that gave us a bit more information of what, of what it would actually cost to expand uh, our snow clearing services. All right. So what is that dollar figure? Well, right now, the city of Hamilton clears about 6,500 kilometers of, of roads, about 900 kilometers of sidewalks for about 30 snow events a year. So if you can imagine the logistics behind that amount of work, it's actually very complicated for that plow to get down your street to, to plow the snow. Um, so last winter, we started a new program where we're going to be clearing the snow on, on sidewalks that are on main arterial ro- roads and transit routes. And the extra cost of that program is about $2.5 million a year and added about an additional 500 kilometers of sidewalk. So it's, it's a you know, somewhat negligible cost, but it obviously it did come off the tax levy. And if you think about how we clear the snow on the main arterials and transit routes, you know, we already cleared the, the transit stops, we cleared city property, we cleared um, school board property. So it was just kind of connecting all those dots. So instead of the, the plow driver plowing here, plowing there, plowing there, they just kind of go in a straight line end to end. So there's a bit of, you know, kind of made sense from a logistical standpoint. Um, since then, nobody's really been happy with that program and the extra cost to it. So we just had this report back that, that talked about the additional costs for expanding um, and to address some of the concerns. So one of them is an enhanced level of service, because right now we don't plow sidewalks unless there's at least two and a half inches of snow and within 24 hours from after it stops snowing. So it could be the next day after it even stops snowing before a plow is able to get there. Um, but we could do that faster, but of course that costs about an extra $5.5 million a year. Uh, we could expand it to all city sidewalks, so beyond just the main roads and arterial and uh, transit routes. That would cost an additional $12 million a year. Um, and then one of the main complaints that we get is the piles of snow that the plows leave you know, at the end of your driveway or at corners. So if we wanted to actually go back and, and plow those piles of snow out of the way, that would cost an additional 24 to $27 million a year. So that was just for information for council and for residents to know that if you did want an enhanced level of service for sidewalk snow clearing, that's how much it would cost. All right. So now that we know the cost and it is quite substantial, is there an appetite from any taxpayer to say, okay, I'll, I'll dig into my bank account to pay for this? Well, I think the additional sidewalk snow clearing program that started last winter, um, it, it's had some issues. Um, you know, obviously, we in the council's office, we get complaints about sidewalk snow clearing, people not shoveling their own snow. Um, 
But we actually got, I think, more complaints last winter about damage from the, the new city sidewalk snow clearing, um, you know, from the bobcats or the, the equipment that they used than we ever did on sidewalk snow clearing in the first place. And I think, you know, homeowners especially take a certain level of pride and they're out there shoveling before it even stops snowing. And it, it could be really frustrating to have to wait, you know, for an extra day after the snowstorm ends before you see a plow comes by. And also we're, we're not able to clear down to the bare sidewalk. So the job that you and I and all your listeners do when we shovel, you know, we're shoveling right down to the bare sidewalk. But when you're using a larger equipment like a bobcat or something like that, the, the guy's not getting out with a shovel, right? He's just going you know, on his route and it, we're clearing to a uh, snowpack. So it's not necessarily a bare sidewalk. So the level of service that we're doing, I think is, is, you know, nobody's really happy with and the level of complaints that we get about damage are, are substantial. And then we actually have to pay the contractors to come back in the spring and, and fix all, of the, all the damage. So there are some challenges there for sure. Does this program also apply to bike lanes as well? Well, bike lanes are covered under the, the road maintenance standards. So they're, they're a separate uh, program. They're already covered under provincial standards. So roads and bike lanes, Part of the transportation network is covered under uh, specific provincial standards for snow clearing that we have to meet. So in, in closing here, we've got about 45 seconds. When it comes to an expanded sidewalk snow clearing program, it sounds like this is going to be shelved for at least the next budgetary negotiation process? Well, the existing, the arterials and transit route clearing program is in place. Uh, that was already approved. That's already in the budget. Um, there's a, a certain number of years that we still have on that contract, and then we can review if we really want to continue with uh, that level of enhancement. Um, but as of right now, there is no direction to an enhanced program and, and adding extra services. Councillor John Poldenko, always appreciate your time. Thanks for waking up with us and enjoy your day and your weekend. Well, thanks so, so much for having me on, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Thousands of Rogers customers in this province, including yours truly, briefly lost their internet and television service last night after what the company called a technical issue. The outage tracking website downdetector.ca showed more than 55,000 outage reports at about 7.30 last night in places like Hamilton, the GTA, uh, Kitchener, Guelph, London, as far as Aurelia. And while the outage didn't last long, it was it was frustrating because, well, you don't have the service that you're paying for, but also because we recently learned that Rogers is going to be raising prices on some of its plans and bundles by $5 a month starting this month. The timing could not be worse. Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and journalist and joins us now on GMH. Carmi, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm happier this morning because all my stuff is working too. I was one of those thousands affected. I was one of those thousands that submitted a report to Down Detector. Uh, and uh, I was frustrated like so many others because you, you would think after the July 8th, 2022 massive outage that that hit Rogers across the country, uh, things were supposed to change. The federal government got involved. They hauled Rogers uh, onto Parliament Hill, forced the company to explain itself. Uh, you know, there were supposed to be changes uh, in the works. Uh, and yet here we are yet again, another outage, which we understand happens. Uh, but yet again, the communications around it, uh, the, the the context of pricing going up, they're taking our money, but they're not giving 
given up our given us our services is as a consumer it's just incredibly frustrating you're trying to get work done you're trying to lead your digital life and rogers clearly isn't making it any easier now than they did a year and a half ago the after effects of the 2022 outage and they also had a big one in 2021 as well but the after the the 2022 which lasted like more than a day um the government basically told rogers listen you got to get your act together not only rogers but the other you know the other uh, uh, canadian telecommunications companies and it, it's funny because one of the uh, you know, messages that the government relayed to the telecoms was, you know, during these outages, make sure that you are keeping consumers in the know. Well, I tried calling Rogers customer service last night and said the number you're trying to reach is unavailable. Like what the face? Yeah. You know, either you got an unavailable number or, or a message or uh, you sat on hold. My wife gave up after over an hour uh, and she just, you know, she was just, she, she was shaking with frustration. She just, she just goes like every single time, this is, this is what we can expect. Um, their website said, there's no service outage in your area, despite the fact that down detector uh, showed very clearly all across Southern Ontario and in other areas, uh, it was burning red uh, with, you know, reports coming in fairly consistently. So, you know, something I, I, after the, the 2022 incident, certainly after the 2021 incident, you know, we all said something. Something's got to give. The Fed said something's got to give. Something's got to change. Uh, and and we thought that was the case. Uh, and after last night, I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders. And I think we all are wondering, well, what did change? Because it's the same old, same old. Uh, the only thing that's changed now is that they're taking more from us every month. So that's not fair. And again, I'm hoping the federal government weighs in and says, hey, we've already had this conversation once. Uh, we need to have it again, Rogers. Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and journalist and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHMLs. We chat about the latest outage at Rogers that affected uh, oh, roughly 55,000 people and probably a whole lot more in the province of Ontario. And it was brief, but it was certainly frustrating, all the more frustrating because it came basically on the same day that we learned that we're going to be paying more for some plans and bundles that Rogers offers. And with these price increases, um, which comes you know less than a year after Rogers swallowed up Shaw Communications, at the time we heard from the federal government to said, you know, this this merger would drive down prices. And now we're seeing the reverse. <laughs> Every time the federal government says uh, that a merger is not going to result in higher prices, in fact, it's going to improve choice and affordability for consumers. I, 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 that's when I turn my mic off and roll around on the floor laughing because <laughs> Because we know full well that that's not the case. Uh, we know how op how open markets work, and it's very clear that here in Canada we do not have an open telecommunications market. Market there are too few players, uh, and as a result, it, it it allows behavior like this. And so, you know, PR people can say all they want, uh, but this is the result of the fact that we have a non-competitive telecommunications market, and it's not like consumers. And I think that's why they're so frustrated, is that after something like what. happened, happened last night where the company yet again behaves so egregiously despite warnings from the federal government. Um, it's not like we can walk across the street and find somewhere else. We're stuck with them. Uh, and if we do go to a competing carrier or another carrier, they all do the same thing. They all behave the same way. There's very little incentive for them to change their ways because 
that's how they make their money. They're more profitable if they skimp on customer service. They're more profitable if they skimp on the kinds of technologies that would keep us informed when an outage happens. Uh, and short of fundamental change to the telecom market, which the federal government seems unwilling to do, uh, you know, the next outage is pretty much going to play out the same way. Yeah, I think we got to really open it up. And I mean, really open it up in terms of other players, including those that uh, hang around in the U.S. that uh, don't mm-hmm. seem to have the same problems as Canadian telecoms do. Carmen, we'll have to leave it there. Always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the weekend. Appreciate it, Rick. Thanks. You as well. Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and a journalist offering his thoughts on the latest outage at Rogers. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Paul and Shona, it's the roundtable here. Friday edition of GMH. Good morning. How are you? Awesome. Very well. Thank you. Paul, would you be willing to pay more for the city to clear your sidewalk when it snows? Now, I must preface this that I have no sidewalk in front of my house. Lucky you. So (laughs) I don't have to worry about it. The plow goes by and it does the road and I'm good to go because we all walk on the road. Um, I would be terrified of saying I will add anything to my taxes anymore right now. I mean, it all sounds great. Oh, yes, put $3 more and, you know, whatever the the figure would be. To say yes to any tax increase right now is terrifying because you know what kind of tax increase we're going to be looking at already. Yeah, well, it would be 1%, basically, an extra, I think it's an extra $12 million citywide. Yes. So 1% of your of the average tax bill. Shona, would you vote yay or nay? Well, imagine how much more it's going to add to that tax bill if the city of Hamilton goes all the way down to St. Catharines to clear my sidewalk. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, with amalgamation these yeah. days, you just never know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I voted no too. I mean, I, I can get out and clear the sidewalk. I don't have any issues. I know there's you know a lot of elderly people in the community that do have that issue, and mm-hmm. especially in you know one of our listeners, Elaine, brought it up on on uh, email as well or on the text line. And the worst part about the snowfall or the snow removal is you clear your driveway, and then the snowplow comes by, and then you got to clear that as well. And she was saying, listen, if that's included, okay, I can stomach it. Otherwise, you know, a lot of people are saying no. Just not in the cards. You can have your say on X at AM 900 CHML. When was the last time, Shona Thompson, you clogged the toilet? I beg your pardon. Well, I asked this question. I don't really want you to answer it. Because I'm not. <laughs> I do have a story if we have time, but I'm not going to. Well, we, we do. We do have time for your story. Okay. But here's my story. Okay, go ahead. All right, go the ahead. last time my toilet was clogged in my house. Yes. I actually had friends over. They had stayed the weekend. Okay. And as they were on a Sunday late in the afternoon, I get a, f- a text message that says, oh, by the way, <laughs> you have to realize I don't go in my one, to- one washroom upstairs. I don't need to. Right. I have my ensuite that I use. So it says, oh, by the way, you might want to check out your bathroom. Oh, so I left. That is a tr- so rude. A- yes. They left it clogged. And the thing was. There was a plunger beside the toilet. Oh, oh no. They, yeah. They've never been back. Have they, they have not been back. No. I don't blame they have not been back. That, yeah, that is. That's rude. Yeah. Yes. He thought it was funny. <laughs> I didn't. I no, didn't. No, that is not funny. You know, when it's your own, you can stomach it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, when true. it's someone else's, yeah. that's a no-go. Someone who's not in the family. I have, <laughs> a, I have a sister who worked for, you know, summer employment okay. uh, as uh, a maid in uh, one of the hotels in St. Catharines. And she got a call saying, you know, you have to bring a plunger up to this room. Mm-hmm. Right. So she takes it up there and knocks on the door. And they're like, okay, well, it's just in there. And it's like, <laughs> there is no tip big enough. <laughs> so she didn't this. do it. 
Of course not. Uh, I don't blame him. I don't blame her at all. <laughs> well, I asked this question because there is a uh, a person who has filed a negligence lawsuit against Dunkin' Donuts, claiming that he was injured by an exploding toilet at one of the coffee chain's locations in Florida. So apparently, this person, who's named Paul, oh, good lord, oh, yeah, I'm all in favor of him, was using this. That was using the washroom, right. and it went kaboom. Oh, no. And I'm not sure at which point in the usage of the toilet in which it went kaboom, but he did suffer, quote, long-term injuries. So he didn't go kaboom, the toilet went the kaboom. The toilet, well, he may have, and then the toilet did. We don't know that for a fact. Yeah. So he's seeking $100,000 in damages because this toilet exploded, and he got, he got seriously injured. He was covered in human feces, urine, debris, and, oh, and was hurt. In the U.S., uh, you know, I'm surprised that it's only 100000 he's yes. for. I thought it was going to be $100 million. Yeah. That indicates somebody has a little bit of guilt attached to yeah, this. Yeah, maybe. Should we have put a disclaimer before this segment? Like, please do not eat breakfast while yes. <laughs> while listening to us. In the, in this case, this Paul down in Florida dropped the bomb, and he used <laughs> oh, another phrase. But exploded. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, are you a are you a nomophobe? Oh, geez, you're asking rude questions. I today. am. Oh, a nomophobe. You don't want to be a know nomophobe. What a nomophobe On today's is. edition of Getting to Know Your Coworkers, <laughs> what is a nomophobe? A nomophobe is nomophobe is a fear. Oh, okay. Fear yeah. of being without a smartphone. Is that no mobile? As in nomophobe? Nomophobe. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Very clever, figuring it all out. Apparently, this is on the rise. There was a study done back in 2021, and it showed that nearly 71% of people suffered from moderate to severe nomophobia. I can see the TV commercial right now. <laughs> you suffer from moderate or severe nomophobia? We have a pill for you. <laughs> and contact Jackson and Jones yeah. Lawfer. Apparently that's up from like 53% a couple of years previous. 21% of nomophobes experience severe to extreme symptoms. They actually have symptoms. They have symptoms. They suffer from like, you know, it's like a COVID symptom and a nomophobic symptom. They include yeah. anxiety. So picture this. You, you've, I don't know, you've lost your phone. It's not with okay, you. Well, that's okay. It's not with me. It's different than losing. Are it, you, but... oh, well, maybe you've lost it. And now you're anxious or depressed. You're agitated and irritable. You're disoriented. These are some of the symptoms. You're trembling or shaking. What? You have difficulty breathing and an increased heart rate. Well, if you if a lot of people lose their phones and think people are going to get into them, I can see that there's going to be a lot of anxiety. <laughs> yes. I'm not saying why, just yeah, yeah. that there might be some anxiety. So, but I mean, I I, I kind of based it on when I saw what a, when I when you first said to me what a nomophobe was, I thought you meant you left your phone at home. Not that you may have had it lost or stolen i have done that yes and i get that feeling of oh no yeah what have like, i done like I, when i'm at home my phone isn't near me i can you know people say oh why didn't you return my text literally it's on a different floor i put it away yeah. and my phone's for me not for yeah. you guys um but when if i leave the house now i never dreamed that i would panic or turn around <laughs> to go get my phone because I, I was I was raised and went for many years where my phone never came with me. Like, you know, who had a phone on yeah. you? Yeah. Now, though, if you're I've, I've literally pulled into the parking lot at work and said, oh, my gosh, I have to turn around and go home to get my phone that I'm not really going to use until I'm, I'm done work. <laughs> <laughs> but you feel the need. You need you, it. I've got to have it. Yeah. So I guess there's a nomophobia there in some form. I guess form. so. Yes. See, the only phobia I would have would be if I dropped my phone 
in the toilet and then it clogged and then it exploded. Yes. That would be my That is a big fear. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently college students, no surprise, are the age group with the worst uh, affected with nomophobia. 25% of them being severe. Nomophobe. So, you know, well, these numbers are only going to get They worse. don't have it out of their hands at any time. It's another like, appendage. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. First batch of 40 court documents have been unsealed in the case of dead sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. Now, the names of many high profile people are included in these documents. You've probably heard or read about many of them. King of Pop Michael Jackson is named. Magician David Copperfield, even Stephen Hawking. But what does this all mean? Ryan J. Karam is a journalist and author, White House correspondent for Playboy, political analyst for CNN, and host of Just Ask the Question podcast, and joins us on GMH. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. My name is not among those at <laughs> Epstein's house. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> Just want to get that out there right away. That is good to hear. And maybe we'll start with that because we should preface our discussion with the disclaimer, I guess, that just because someone's name is included in these documents, it does not mean they did anything wrong, right? Yeah, well, look, a lot of these names are already known. Um, they, they've they been released in other court um, documents and other cases. Uh, there's been no real big surprises. I mean, it, uh, what's Stephen Hawking going to do? You think he's going to be involved in, a, in an orgy? I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's that's just not the case. And those that have that were accused uh, first, like uh, uh, former President Trump and uh, former President Bill Clinton, said that you know they had no idea what was going on. There's no indication that they actually did. Although with Trump, you never know. But so, yeah, there's no indication that just because they were named that they did anything wrong. It's just that now that he's dead and the court has decided to release the names, all the names except for those of the youngest uh, accusers, those under 18, have been released. And uh, we'll just be getting a steady stream of about 187 to 200 of them. Well, if there's one name that I was not necessarily surprised to see, but surprised to see so often... Was It wasn't Donald Trump, it wasn't Bill Clinton, it wasn't even Prince Andrew, it's lawyer Alan Dershowitz, who apparently is <laughs> in the documents and inadvertently in the documents. Yeah, he well, he was an he was uh, Epstein's attorney at one point in time. I thought you were going to say Mother Teresa. And that would have <laughs> been but, shocking. Uh, that, 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 that would have, or the Pope. But uh, Dershowitz <laughs> is not one that would surprise you. I mean, he had a close tie to, um, to Epstein and uh, there were rumors for years with him. So that's that's one of the ones that kind of have everybody. But I I get where you're going with it because you you know you, you associate Alan Dershowitz with law mm-hmm. order <laughs> and not orgies. <laughs> there is, and it happened. I think it was earlier this week on um, on a podcast in which New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers said that hey, don't be surprised if Jimmy Kimmel's name is on the list and the late night talk show host has taken great exception to this and also threatening to sue the Jets quarterback. Is there a stain of, of having your name on this list? Well, there's a stain if your name is Aaron Rodgers cause he's just a well-known idiot. Yeah. But, um, and I, you know, God bless him for being a lunatic. Uh, but look, um, there is a stain there is a, and, and it's being associated with Epstein and all the, uh, the horrendous things that he did uh, and to remind your audience that, you know, it, it, sex trafficking, harassment, uh, I, actually sex trafficking of, of young girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that was part of the Epstein uh, 
way of operating. And there are in these court documents there. Some of the things that have been released is how they went about enticing young girls to, to, uh, you know, to bed older men. So yeah, there's a huge stain just being associated with them. And, uh, Aaron Rodgers should be a little bit more circumspect when he makes accusations that are unfounded, but he's the guy that doesn't believe in, you know, uh, uh, vaccines. So he's kind of a nut anyway. And it's, I guess it should come as no surprise that many of those in the political world, like Mr. Trump, or at least his associates are saying, listen, we didn't, we didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Our name is there, but they're really trying to, um, dissuade the public from connecting the name to what Epstein did. Well, yeah. And Donald Trump is running for president again. So the last thing he wants to do is be uh, lumped in with that, although he seems to be, you know, bulletproof when it comes to sexual misconduct charges. So, uh, and and it wouldn't be unusual for Donald Trump to lie that he does that frequently enough. Uh, so the the real problem with this whole Epstein thing is is that it's it's actually at this point in time, I think it it's almost like candy and catnip, huh. and people are going after it as a story when there are far more important things to look at. And Donald Trump would much rather have you looking at what he did or did not do with Epstein as, uh, you know, opposed to the 91 felonies he's charged for in four different uh, jurisdictions. And the fact that he's been, you know, lumped, uh, knocked off the ballot in a couple of states and there are other states looking to do it. So he'd much rather you talk about sexual misconduct than anything else. So what happens now with these, uh, I guess there's going to be more court documents to come out. Do Do you expect, does anyone expect a big bombshell to land? No, I think that, you know, uh, Rick, actually, I guess the biggest bombshell or the most important thing to come out of it is how Epstein operated and how he enticed young kids and what he and the organization that he put together uh, with the one person who's in prison, um, you know, and that and that I think is will be I, I think there will be doctors and psychiatrists, lawyers professors studying these cases for years because it's quite frightening what the guy did and got away with for many years. And it's a warning to all of us. Absolutely. And well said, Brian, always appreciate your time. Thanks for waking up early with us on uh, good morning, Hamilton. Anytime, stay out of the cold and watch out for the snow. You got it. Brian J. Karam, journalist and author, White House correspondent for Playboy, political analyst for CNN and host of Just Ask the Question podcast. Pretty good podcast. Check it out wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I, I should mention this as well. One of Epstein's victims um, and and who was interviewed. And this is how some of the names, you know, get included in these documents. Um, she was asked about Epstein and, you know, what, what he did on a daily basis and, you know, the, the names or the people that he associated with. And so this individual was asked about Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Blanchett and was asked, you know, did you ever meet these two? And the victim basically said no. And so that's how a little example of how some of the names are included in these reports, because an interviewer brought them up in this case. Interesting story. And I agree with Brian, too. I don't think there's going to be a bombshell to come out of this in terms of names and people who have done uh, wrongdoing. But we'll keep tabs on it. That is for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Professional Women's Hockey League is off to a good start. The league's inaugural season kicked off on Monday in Toronto. Alex Carpenter and she'll take the draw on New York. Wins at Shelton with her stick on the And she gets it! Ella Shelton scores! History is hers! 
Yeah, New York's Ella Shelton became the first ever goal scorer for the PWHL as New York beat Toronto 4-0 in a game that included a lot of local talent. Hamilton's Sarah Nurse plays for Toronto, so too does Renata Fast from Burlington. Emma Malte is on Toronto's squad as well. Uh, there's also Alexa Vasco, who's from St. Catharines. A lot of local talent on the ice. There's, there's a lot of local talent on the ice as well, but not necessarily in uniform, wearing skates, or pads, and gloves, and carrying a stick. And that person was a singer from Hamilton, Sienna Rose, once again, stealing the spotlight before the puck drop with another rousing rendition of the national anthem. And Sienna joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sienna, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. So you got to sing the first ever national anthem in the first game of the PWHL. How did this happen? Uh, my mom is pretty much my manager since I was 10 years old. I've been singing anthems for professional sports leagues. And um, my mom discovered that there was going to be the PWHL game. And she got in contact with them wondering if they needed an anthem singer. Um, there was lots of emails back and forth. And eventually they picked me to be the official anthem singer for the whole season. So and, uh, you know, we we know the name quite well. And, and when I first heard Sienna Rose is going to sing the national anthem, I thought, I know that name from somewhere. And <laughs> you've, you've sung national anthems at Tiger Cats games and uh, formerly Hamilton Bulldogs games, the Toronto Blue Jays at, at Rogers Center. So this is old hat. You're used to doing this sort of thing. Yes, I am. So what was it like to be associated with this new professional women's hockey league on day number one? It's so incredible. I mean, it's such a, a great moment in history for women's hockey. And um, just to be able to play a small little role in something so huge just feels so amazing. It is. And we know because we've seen, you know, the videos of the horrific national anthem singers that get the lyrics <laughs> wrong or stumble or, you know, the, the microphone doesn't work like something usually happens at least once a season, whether it's hockey or baseball or football. What's it like with the spotlight on you, knowing there's 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people in the stands listening to you? It's definitely crazy nerve wracking, like especially like it's every anthem singer's worst fear to forget the words or for the microphone to stop working. Like you said, it's it's definitely happened to me before with the microphone like malfunctioning. So it's it's definitely really nerve wracking. But once like you're out there and singing, it's it's just incredible. Have you ever forgotten the words? I haven't forgotten the words, luckily. Um, <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah, we don't want to jinx it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you do you sing or at least in your mind before you perform to make sure that, you know, everything everything's there? Yes, 100 percent. I even have like little tricks that I do to try to remember like the order of the words because anxiety, like definitely before singing will like like causes me to maybe like forget the words before I go out. But um, yeah, I rehearsed it in my head over and over again. Absolutely. How many times do you think you've sung the anthem at a sporting event now? Oh, man. Um, probably like close to a thousand times. Wow. I used to get gigs for the Bulldogs games like every week. And um, I've, I've done like one time events for like other sporting events, like since I was about 10 years old. So it's definitely quite a few. When did you start doing it in, in front of a, a big audience like a Bulldogs or a Ticats game? And what was that like? Um, well, my first ever time like singing the anthem was for the Thai Cats. Um, I had a contract for a whole season. And um, I mean, I was 10 years old as a 10 year old girl singing in front of like 25,000 people. It was pretty incredible. Um, but 
I have always been good on stage and like being able to contain myself. So it was more excitement rather than nerve wracking. Looking back on uh, how old are you now? I'm 17 now. So seven years ago. So looking back at 10 year old Sienna Rose, what would you tell her? Um, just keep going. I mean, like I would have never imagined that I would make it this far doing like so many games. So just keep going and don't turn down those little opportunities because every type of exposure is just great. Sienna Rose is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sienna is a singer from Hamilton and has belted out the national anthem at, as you've been hearing, numerous sporting events. When it comes to other musical exploits, are you launching into your own personal songs, doing albums? What's it like being a a singer at this point? I mean, I have been writing music um, since I was like little, but I've never actually released anything yet. I'm hoping to eventually. But um, I'd have to record it and perfect it, stuff like that. But yeah, I'm I'm really hoping to like become my own artist and release music eventually down the road. What kind of genre are uh, are you interested in doing? Um, like pop music. Um, I like pop and rock music, so probably those two genres. Okay, so we could be speaking with the future Taylor Swift. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you see artists like that, or even, you know, here locally, like Arkells, I mean, people have made it big having talent that you have. It must be exciting. It's super exciting. Yeah. Sienna, we'll leave it at that. Really appreciate your time. Best of luck on your uh, next uh, national anthem and your, your writing and musical career. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Sienna Rose is a singer from Hamilton and uh, stole at least some of the pregame show spotlight on uh, game number one of the Professional Women's Hockey League. As uh, there's so many Hamilton elements to that game, whether it was Sienna or, as I mentioned, Sarah Nurse, Burlington's Renata Fast, Emma Malte, and uh, even Alexa Vasco down in St. Catharines, all playing a big part in what has been a really good start to this league. There's another game tonight. Toronto is playing in New York. It's uh, the New York team's first. Uh, home game of the season, and I'm sure that the Toronto squad is going to seek some revenge after New York kind of spoiled the party. What well, was a very entertaining game at the Banami Center, the former uh, Toronto Maple Leafs Gardens, on uh, on Monday. So uh, go Toronto, go, I guess, in, unless, I don't know, you're a New York fan. How could you be, though? So many local great players on the Toronto team. I think we're, I think we're forced to cheer for them, even though I know we don't like cheering for Toronto teams, especially in double blue. In blue and white, that's okay. Double blue, that's a no-go zone. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.